When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and this is the Monday edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Start your week off with Mary Kay, Ellis, and I. And the first thing we're going to do is we recorded this on Friday right after the Sheldon Richardson news. So right off the top, we react to that for a few minutes. And then we get into three questions about the Cleveland Browns. So we talk all sorts of things like Jadavian Clowney and Odell Beckham. We talk win totals and we talk about who the Browns might take at number 26. So that's all coming up here on this Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Away we go on a Monday Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Now, we are recording this on Friday, and we actually, this is our second shot recording it because we were interrupted the first time with the news that the Browns cut Sheldon Richardson uh, on Friday. So we're just going to do a a few minutes on that here off the top before we get to some questions about the Browns. Mary Kay, are are you surprised by this move? And and what do you think this means? Like, like why do you think they did it? You know, I'm not super shocked about this move. I kind of had an idea that something like this might be coming. There were only a few things that they could do this off season uh, to kind of move their salary cap around and save some money without it being too painful for them. Uh, So therefore, uh, when you look at Sheldon Richardson's contract, uh, he only had $1.6 million in dead cap space and his cap number was 13.6. So this move saved them $12 million in cap space. And again, when I say not too painful for them, I mean from a financial standpoint that they only have to eat $1.6 million of this salary. And that is very significant. Now, did they want to keep Sheldon Richardson? Of course they would have wanted to keep Sheldon Richardson. He's been a really good player for them the last two years. But he did become somewhat expendable at that price when you bring on a Malik Jackson, when you have Andrew Billings coming back after opting out last season, when you have Jordan Elliott ready to take a step up in his third season, you also have a draft coming up. I mean, you could probably draft a defensive tackle somewhere along the line uh, that you can get uh, some good production out of, and you're not going to have to pay him $12 million. So really he just kind of priced himself off the team. It is unfortunate though, because he was a good player and he was a leader and he ranked 37th in pro football focus this year amongst defensive tackles. Players loved him. He was great in the media. He was the Dino Lucarelli good guy last year. Uh, You know, he would stand at his locker when we had open locker room and, and just talk forever. And he was, you know, very entertaining and insightful. And uh, you know, he meant a lot to this team. So it's a loss from that standpoint, but from an economic standpoint, I can see why they had to do it. We've been talking all offseason about the luxury items on this Browns roster, whether it's the two receivers or Sheldon Richardson. There are pieces that when you project this team forward into year three, four, and five of Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry, you realize there's 
pieces like that that weren't going to be a part of this future. So we knew that this was coming. We just didn't know when. And it's the first domino in those luxury luxurious items no longer being available to the Browns because the, those extensions are looming. This team can extend Baker Mayfield, Denzel Ward, Nick Chubb, Wyatt Teller. And those are things that, you know, one or two of those probably get done this offseason. This money now available allows them to take some of that cap and throw it into bonuses for extensions they do now. It makes sense in, from the, what we've seen Andrew Barry do in terms of wanting to stay flexible, not feeling like they're pinned in a corner. They, to take something he has said, have one foot in the present and one foot in the door of the future. That's exactly what this move is. You know, I don't love the move like from an on-field perspective. At the same time, though, I don't know that we're going to be sitting there on some Sunday during the season and saying, boy, this team really misses Sheldon Richardson. And I don't say that to diminish anything he's done. I think he's been probably consistently their second best defensive lineman in his time here. You know, Olivier Vernon had some flashes here and there and other guys certainly had flashes, but just over the course of his time, he played every game. I think that matters. He was a good guy in the locker room. Like you mentioned, Mary Kay, and, and we all, you walk up and chat with them. It's, it seemed like every position group gravitated to him in that locker room. I do think he's going to be missed. I think there's an element of, okay, you're banking on Andrew Billings coming back and being the player. You, you, you haven't seen Andrew Billings. I mean, let's be honest. We haven't seen him in this defense yet. We don't know what he's going to be. Jordan Elliott didn't hear his name called a whole lot last year. Seemed to get some good playing time though. So it seems to still be a guy they like Malik Jackson was healthy last year, but still is, is kind of working back from that Liz Frank injury. So, you know, we'll see. I, I don't, I don't love the move, but I also don't think it's going to be some devastating move. And I do feel like, and I just want your guys' opinions on this real quick. Is this sort of a future, like you can roll over this cap space now if you need to. So you've got the flexibility now, but you're also going to be able to roll that forward. Is this sort of Andrew Barry looking to the future and understanding that they're going to need kind of every dollar they can get at some point. Yes, absolutely. And it's also, once again, uh, in addition to that, you have a player who is 30 years old right now making double digit millions. And when you look at that dead cap space and you see that it's very small and you have an opportunity to make a move there and just with one move increase, basically more than double your cap space is what they did with this move. Okay. They had less than 10 less than $11 million in cap space earlier today. Now they have almost $23 million in cap space. So these are the kind of moves when you're doing roster building and you're looking at the overall way the cap is built. And you look first at where the dead cap space is very small. And you see that those are the places where you start to look in terms of what they might be thinking in terms of moves. Now, of course, another one that we've talked about a lot is Jarvis Landry. I mean, Jarvis Landry has a high salary and a small dead cap space. And that's one I think all season, a lot of us have wondered, wow, is something going to happen with him? I mean, he's going to, going to be on the team. The only thing that I could see happening is maybe they would restructure that a little bit to bring that cap number down. Uh, so uh, I, I don't know if that's on the horizon or not right now, but these are the kinds of things that you look at when you're trying to manage the cap. And they do need every dollar that they can possibly get this off season. Uh, to be able to do the kinds of things that they might want to do. And now they have a little bit of money to play with. 
you also have to remember they have to set aside about $9 million for their rookie pool. And that comes out of this $23 million. So they still now have some left to do what they want to do with it. You know, it was really more so than anything, uh, just a strictly business financial move. Yeah, this is the opposite of what a team who is all in does. You know, this isn't something the, the Rams would probably do. This isn't something the Saints would do. This isn't something Kansas City would do. But it is something the Browns are doing, again, to consider both where they are at now and then protecting them in the future and remaining flexible. The big winners in this really are Jordan Elliott and Tack McKinley, probably, you know, Andrew Billings is going to have a role in this team, but he's not someone you, you see who can slide outside. So for me, it's, it's Tack because of his ability in a, to play both inside and outside. And then Jordan Elliott coming into his second year, if they hit on Elliott, and this is going to be a theme all year long, guys like Jacob Phillips and Jordan Elliott, if they hit on those guys, then this move is brilliant. It's, it's perfect. But we that's the unknown. If they draft someone at 26 and plug him right. I mean, there's a lot of options to replace Sheldon. But what we don't know is if anyone is capable yet. And that is going to be something that has to be, remain to be seen. And if they are getting ran on a little bit or the pressure is lacking interior, that might be the only way we end up, we start saying we miss Sheldon, but it's going to really fall on Jordan Elliott and Tack McKinley, I believe, to generate what Sheldon did on the field. And then I will end with this. This is the first big locker room change, I would say, under the Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Barry tenure. And winning games is all that matters. And Teams that win games usually have really good locker rooms. But if anything goes wrong, Sheldon would have been a guy to lean on. When when Miles left for 10 games in, in 2019, we remember what Sheldon did for that locker room and that defensive line. He stepped up. He was the leader there. And pe- pe- guys remember that. And so we'll see. I'm not saying any, this is headed in a bad direction. It's just for everything you have to replace on the field, you also have to find a way to replace that in the locker room as well. This represents not only uh, do you now have two new starting defensive tackles that, you know, this is goodbye to your two starting defensive tackles in Larry Ogunjobi, who signed a one-year contract with the Bengals and now Sheldon, but it also represents an, an overhaul of 75% of your defensive line. Uh, because now you're saying goodbye to Olivier Vernon and Larry Ogunjobi and Sheldon Richardson. So Three out of four are, are gone. And uh, I think that's significant. And another thing uh, that I just wanted to point out real quick about Sheldon, and that is in the aftermath of the Mason Rudolph incident, he was very instrumental in pulling the team back together. Baker Mayfield in the heat of the moment, uh, you know, made some remarks on Fox Sports to Aaron Andrews right af- afterwards. Sheldon and Olivier didn't feel that they were sort of team protecting and miles protecting. And Baker didn't mean those things that way. I think it was just, like I said, it was the heat of the moment. And I think he was just trying to reflect that, no, that's not the kind of thing that we do, not knowing all the circumstances. And Sheldon and Olivier brought that team back together and and really kind of held it and galvanized that football team at a very, very pivotal moment for Miles and for the rest of the team. And it just went a long way uh, towards everybody coming back together when he was back on the field. So I just think that that was a huge contribution that he made. I saw somebody tweet, 
you can understand a move without necessarily liking a move. You, you can you can have it both ways. And, and I, you know, I think for us in particular, look, he was a great guy in the locker room. He was great to talk to. He was good for us and our industry. So that, that hurts a little bit. You know, I understand why they did it. I'm looking at it a little side-eyed. We'll see how it plays out. So let's get to uh, another thing here. I wanted to ask you guys some Browns questions that I'm going to throw at you. And the first question here stays a little bit on that defensive line. I'm going to mention a defensive line player and a guy in Jadavian Clowney, who maybe his ability to move inside precipitated this, this decision as well. Which player is more important to the Browns' success in 2021, Odell Beckham Jr. or Jadavian Clowney? It's a great question, Dan. It's really, really an interesting question. Obviously, you're talking about two different sides of the ball, and you can make a case for both of them, that Jadavian will be uh, vitally important on the, on the defensive side of the ball and Odell Beckham Jr. on the offensive side of the ball. But I'm, go- I'm going to go with Odell. I'm going to go with Odell right now uh, because I still think he has that potential to come back off of this torn ACL and really have a breakout season in this Browns offense. I think he really has an opportunity if uh, Baker Mayfield hits the ground running and we all expect him to. Uh, I think that those two guys really can be dynamite together this year. And I think he can add a new element to this offense of just playmaking and also just so much versatility. We saw what he did in the Dallas game. There's so many different things things that you can do with him and they haven't even really scratched the surface. He can throw a touchdown pass. We will see that this year. There will be an Odell Beckham Jr to Jarvis Landry touchdown pass this year. He can run it, he can catch it, he can throw it. Uh, he can do everything. And, and I think that, I think this will be his year where, where he will live up to his potential in a Browns uniform. It, it's an excellent question. One that really capitalizes the talent on this Browns roster. Odell Beckham Jr. at his A game at 100%, there's no one like him on the roster and not too many like him across the league, but you can say the same exact thing about Jadavion as well, you know, at 100%, as he talked about in his presser on, on Wednesday was he would talk about NFL player of the year as Mary Kay wrote. He talked about winning an all pro or earning an all pro roster spot next to miles Garrett, assuming he can find that, 100% ability that he or health I should say that he's been chasing his entire career ever since his microfracture injury again which he mentioned in the presser a really transparent conversation I thought he had with all of us so for that reason and because of the news of Shelton Richardson no longer being on this defense I'm gonna go with Jadavion Clowney I think that and I've been on the record like Mary Kay like most of us that Odell is the one piece that can push this offense to its apex I believe, but Clowney now with his ability to disrupt plays in general and get around the football and just wreak havoc combined with the responsibility of now replacing production of Sheldon Richardson inside or Olivier Vernon outside. He really becomes the, the chess piece, the queen piece, if you will, up front for Joe Woods. And that responsibility is going to be heavy. So I'm going to put, that on Clowney. And for that reason, I think he's more, uh, the question was more, uh, who's more important to the Browns? More important. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think for that reason, cause now he's doing in a way two jobs, like he's not the sole guy who's going to take care of those two jobs, but when the Browns need an expert rep, either outside or inside replacing what Vernon or Sheldon did on a given rep, they're going to look to Clowney. 
you you climbed aboard the clowny train, didn't you, over the last? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been all I've been doing is watching Clowny Tay this past seventy two <laughs> hours. It feels like so now I got to be on board. <laughs> Good for you. You know, this is something we talked about on the roundtable the other day is, you know, we looked at the defense and we kind of listed guys who you think could make one single play to win you a football game. Our colleague, Doug Maurice had Sheldon Richardson on that list, by the way. <laughs> Odell Beckham, if we did offensive players, Odell Beckham would certainly be one of the first names that you would mention. I, I think the parallels are really interesting, right? Both 2014 draft picks, both hit with injuries at different points in their career that have maybe limited them in recent years. I would make the case for Clowney just because I think we saw this offense without Odell last year, and we did see the limitations that it had without Odell. But I think you can address those in a certain way, whether it's a draft pick or whether it's Donovan Peoples-Jones kind of stepping up and getting better. I'm not saying any of those guys would be the talent that Odell Beckham is, but I think you can address what you were lacking just from a down stretch the field standpoint. You can address that and, and kind of get by with a, a lesser player than Odell Beckham. I think you needed to have another elite level pass rusher, even though Clowney hasn't put up the sack numbers. We know so you, you've talked about watching the tape. You dig into some of the pressure numbers, his ability to stop the run. I think that changes the outlook of this defensive line, which kind of sneaky last year was not as good as people assumed it was. It wasn't as productive. So I think it changes the outlook of what Joe Woods can do with this defensive line. So I'll go clowny by just a little bit. You know, I will, I'm going to add this real super quick because I didn't say this at the outset. Once again, this is almost six of one, half a dozen of the other. And I think all of us probably could have, could have possibly gone either way, right? And you can make a case for either either one. Uh, but one thing that I did not uh, mention about Odell that I think is vitally important. When you, when you have a receiver like that on the football team, when you add a Stephon Diggs to the Buffalo Bills, you know, when you add, you know, maybe even a De- DeAndre Hopkins or somebody like that, it can make all the difference in the world in terms of scoring the football. And if he's going to be catching a lot of touchdown passes, which is what this football team is going to need him to do, then I 100% think that that he will uh, mean more in terms of winning and success, scoring the football. That's the whole key. If he's the guy that he was uh, in that Dallas game and they just toy with people with him and just mess with him and have him catching touchdown passes and throwing touchdown passes and rushing for touchdowns. Uh, and, and he ends up with double digit touchdowns this year. That's, I think he's capable of that for sure. And if that happens, then I for sure think that that, that pushes him over the edge. You know, what's a, would be another fun question that I'd have to think about for a while, which player finishes with a higher total Odo Beckham jr. Total touchdowns or clowny sacks in 2021. I'm going to go touchdowns. I'm predicting. Mary Kay already knows. I'm predicting touchdowns. It's a tough question. It is a tough question. I'm going to go. You going sacks? I'm going to go sacks. I think we might see. I think we might see motivated clowny on a one-year deal have one of those nine, nine and a half or 10 sack seasons. And I think that makes it possible that that could be more than Beckham touchdowns. I'm not using this all that accurately but for the sake of the exercise i'm going to plead the fifth on this one i'm, I'm not i'm not ready to answer <laughs> that's, that's you, fair. Put you, it, came... you threw it out there 
I told you guys I needed some time. That's why I threw it out there. Isn't that one of the tricks of hosting? Just ask a question you don't even have an answer to? Exactly. Exactly. That's that's a good one. I like that one. We're bringing that up on a roundtable sometime, too. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's a draft question. Three players on the board at 26. You have to choose one of them. Zaven Collins, Greg Newsom, or Rashad Bateman? Those are the three guys. Zaven Collins, Rashad Bateman, or Greg Newsom, you've got to pick one. It's a great question. Mary Kay, you want me to go first quick? Yeah, you go first. All right, Dan, it's an amazing question. Of course you throw Bateman in there, the gopher, also <laughs> falling to board appropriate. You know, you look at these mocks, he's probably the guy realistically who could be there. Yesterday on Gotta Watch the Tape, I announced that I was officially hopping off the Zaven Collins train. Oh. Yep. Yep. I, I, I bid farewell. I said, Doug, drive it well for me. And the reason for doing that was coming to the realization that the Browns really only weakness on this defense before the Sheldon Richardson news was really that outside corner spot. You know, Greedy Williams is at this point an unknown commodity. And I think operating as if he'll be hundred percent healthy and capable of playing 16 games fully probably a little reckless and I don't think that's how this front office would operate then you look at the division the Browns would never just dictate who they draft at 26 depending on what the Bengals do at five but keep in mind if the Bengals do draft Jamar Chase the Bengals then have a trio of T Higgins Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase Pittsburgh already has their trio Juju Deontay Smith Chase Claypool then you look at Denzel Ward, a guy who has literally missed four games all three years. So he plays 12 a year. Already talked about greedy. They brought in Troy Hill. But what if it's 2019 all over again and Denzel and greedy aren't available? Or you, you play the Bengals or the Steelers and for some reason greedy's not available. And, you know, it can get thin quick. So that's a long way of me saying because of the lack of depth and because of the way the AFC North is headed on top of what the chiefs are doing on top of what the bills are doing, bringing in Emmanuel Sanders, Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley. I think the pick has to be corner. It, it just has to be corner. Uh, Greg Newsom, JC Horn, even Asante Samuel jr. Like if you're taking the fourth corner there, I'm not completely against it. It's a high blue chip top priority spot, like tackle, like edge rusher. And you can't have enough of them. So because of that and everything I laid out, I'm going Greg Newsom. As hard as it is to pass on Bateman, I'm going Newsom. And I'm off the Collins train. Well, I'll go next because I'm, my answer is the same. And I am so intrigued by Zavin Collins. I think I he's such an interesting prospect. And I, I think there's so much he could do in this defense. But I, all, I keep coming back to corner two for basically the same reasons you were putting out there. And just when I look at what this team has addressed so far – and there's still a little time before the draft. But when I look at what this team has addressed so far, that one area is still corner. So that means they either really trust Greedy Williams or they've got some other plans at that position. My only thing about Greg Newsom is he's not huge. He's six foot, 192 pounds. But, you know, just everything I read about him, everything I see about him, this is a guy that can come in and come start as a rookie. And... I think he's sort of the last of the group, right? I think there's a line under his name. Like when you get past Newsom, it's sort of a drop-off. 
And that's when you get into, okay, how much do you like Asante Samuel? And are you just drafting the position? Or are you drafting the player? Right. But I think Newsom is a guy that kind of checks both of those boxes. And if he's there at 26, I would take him. But, man, it would be tough to watch those other two players go someplace else too. That's the life of the draft, though. Mary Kay, who would you take? You know what? You guys are making tremendous points, and I would go cornerback too. I don't know if he is the cornerback uh, that I would take there at number 26. I, I still want to think about that a little bit more in terms of which one I would take there. I mean, I like a lot of things about him size-wise and everything at six foot. Uh, that's pretty good. I mean, I usually tend more towards SEC type of, of players, but I do think that the points that you guys are making and just in terms of the position, if you had three guys with a grade, I don't know how their grades work out, but let's just say you have three guys that are graded at 7.6. Okay. They're all super close. One of them is a receiver. One of them, one of them is an edge rusher. And one of them is a cornerback in this circumstance right now where they're at. I think you have to go cornerback. They can get the job done this year at wide receiver. And you can, this is a deep wide receiver class. You can find a receiver in this class uh, in a little bit of a later round. So I do think that they should start planning for life after Odell and Jarvis, but I don't know that I would go there with number 26, all things being equal. And then in terms of a defender, they've really stocked this defense this year. They've really gone above and beyond the call of duty and they're ready to roll on defense for the most part in the defensive front. So therefore, yeah, I would go, especially not knowing hundred percent what you are going to get out of greedy and grant this year. Nobody knows. I mean, nobody knows exactly what they're going to bring. So you cannot hurt yourself by any stretch of the imagination by, by taking the best cornerback available there. I thought I'd get some pushback. I thought there would be some Rashad Bateman love there. Ellis, I thought for sure you would. I thought, Ellis, you were on the Zayvon Collins train still. I didn't realize that. I hadn't caught up on, on Gotta Watch the Tape yet, so I didn't realize you had jumped off the train. Yeah, I thought for sure there would be some pushback there from both of you on Newsom. This, this industry changes in 24 hours, sometimes in just 20 minutes, as with the Sheldon Richardson news. So uh, <laughs> it, 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 was a, it was a sad departure. Again, I still think Zayvon is a, is a heck of a prospect, but when you just look at the holes in this team, it, it, it's got to be corner. And then Mary Kay, I thought you would see the receiver there and just not be able to resist. I thought so too. I agree with that. Well, you know what? I mean, just if the receiver is graded a little higher, I'm going receiver, right? right. If the receiver is higher, I, I will go with the most dominant football player at that position. So if the receiver is 8.2 and the other guys are 7.6, just because I feel like I need a cornerback more, I'm not taking the cornerback. That, that is not how I would build my football team. I would go with the most dominant player at the most premium position there. So yes, if he's better than the corner, fine. But if they're all exactly equal, if they are just head to head, then for the pur for purposes of this year, how you can not, you know, it's sort of a dual fill a need and also take the best available player. If you can accomplish that, then I think you should do it. And Dan, let this be a lesson to you for what happens when you try to plan ahead and have a nice, <laughs> thoughtful, nuanced question. It, it doesn't go the way you think. It's just, you know, why, why plan for this stuff? <laughs> I, I put three names on there that I thought each of us would maybe make a case for. I thought maybe somebody would make a Zayvon Collins case or Rashad. That's okay. 
that's all right. I, I think, honestly, you can make an argument for any of those guys there. And I think that's what makes it such an interesting position. And just a reminder, the Browns, at least unless they, they get aggressive and move up, they kind of have to let things fall to them. So it's not entirely up to them. Okay, last thing here. This was just the AFC North win totals that I saw come out today. Uh, and I, I just, you know, real quick go through these. The Bengals were at six and a half. So that would work out to either, what, seven and 10 or six and 11. Over, under on the Bengals. What's your, your gut feeling, right? We haven't even had the draft yet. We haven't even had, there's still more free agency, all that stuff. Just gut feeling right now on April 16th when we're recording. I'm going to say over. I'm just going to say Ooh, over. Okay. Here's one reason why. I, I just love Joe Burrow. I just really, really think he is phenomenal. And I think he can make everybody better. And he's such a passionate player uh, that I think he's going to really bring out uh, the best in, in all of his teammates. And they've made some improvements. Uh, they've, they've, gotten, they've gotten better, I think. So I'm going to go over. Not a lot over, but I think they might be able to get to seven games this year. I'm going to discredit all three of Dan's upcoming questions with these over <laughs> unders. Cause I think it is impossible to predict over unders until you see how the schedule actually lays out. Like oh, yeah. a, a year ago, the Texans opened with like the Ravens, the chiefs and the Steelers and the Vikings go Oh, and four and Bill O'Brien loses his job. They were probably going to lose some games anyway, but when it's set up like that, it's like, okay, this, this is probably going to be an under considering the run they go on there. So without that information, I'm going to go under, but just slightly. And it's for the exact opposite reason of Mary Kay. I'm all in on Joe Burrow as well. We just did a Bengals deep dive on got to watch the tape. I'm not sure Zach Taylor's the guy. I'm just not sure what they're building there. Culture wise, identity wise. It's been two years. They're six, 25 and one in those two years under Taylor. Where's this going? I think it's, it's Joe Brady coming from Carolina into Cincy. So I'll go slightly under, which would be like what a, a six and 11 record. Is that what we say now? I guess so. Yeah. I have to do that math in my head. Yeah. Listen, none of this, if you're betting over unders in April, I don't know. What to <laughs> I, no, I don't know. Like, so well put. <laughs> like you said, I, was... seven and 10, though. I mean, I, I'm not going way over, but I, I could kind of see them. I could see them losing 10, but I could see Joe Burrow pulling them. I mean, he almost, he almost beat the Browns last year in a, in, under very trying circumstances very trying circumstances as i've said so many times before his defenders standing over on the sideline putting their homes up for sale and just not not playing for him so if he's got guys playing for him and he's back from his acl and he can lift up i mean he was a hell of a who wouldn't want to run through a wall for him right so if you bring in a guy like trey hendrickson and uh, you know, and now you've got everybody pulling in the same direction. I, I think that could be worth seven victories. Yeah. With two minutes left to go in a football game, you want your players focused on the field, not on Zillow. So, <laughs> yeah. Slight advice there. Exactly. I, I, I mean, I think six and a half is the perfect number. I, I think it's, it, it's going to be like that six or that seven. It's going to be one of those two. I think I would go under so much of this depends on Pittsburgh. Like how good is Pittsburgh yeah. going to be? Are they going to be the Pittsburgh we know, or are they going to stink next year? And so that, that kind of determines it. Cause of course they've got to play Pittsburgh twice. They also, this whole having to play the NFC West thing. 
I just think throws a wrench into things too. They've got to play San Francisco. And, and like that's that's your last place matchup is San Francisco. So that makes it tough. I, I mean, I think this number's perfect right at six and a half. So I, I would take the under, but I mean, Mary Kay, you're right. This team could win seven games. Now the Steelers are at nine. So that would be nine and eight. I'm going to take the under on the Steelers. I I could see it like I could see it flip like eight and nine, maybe seven and ten. We're we're so dependent on what Ben Roethlisberger can do, and I just don't. Well, whatever. I've talked about the Steelers enough. I'll take the under. Do you have to go over and under here, or can we just take the nine? Oh, very good. You took mine. You can take the push. It's not a half number. You can take the push. Taking the push. That makes sense. I'm doing the exact same. I think this is a perfect push opportunity. So Dan was was saying that if you're betting over-unders in April, you're crazy. Well, this might be a nice over-under to hit because you just, you know, throw 100 on it and you just get to enjoy the season. And then you get your money back in December <laughs> when it's a nice push. Everyone wins. I, I mean, I feel like that's that's kind of a Mike Tomlin play, right? Like, if you think they're going to win nine games, it's because you think it's because of Mike Tomlin. And I think that's a legitimate argument. The Steelers are always, their floor is always right around that eight and eight is about the worst they're going to do. And of course you can't go eight and eight this year. So why not and, go and, nine and eight? And that defense for the most part is coming back now, aside from Bud. Yeah, that's true. They, they're, they got Vince Williams to resign that other linebacker. They'll get Devin Bush back. So I'm going to be a familiar faces once again in Pittsburgh. Okay, so now uh, the last two teams left. Browns are at 10, so that would be 10 and 7. The Ravens are at 11, that would be 11 and 6. How are we feeling about those two? 11's high. I'll say 11 is high. Dan, you mentioned the NFC West. There's just going to be a slight difference between playing the NFC East and the NFC West this year, huh? Just just a little <laughs> bit difference in those conferences. I'll say the Browns, and watch this just, you know, picking, picking a Browns over under in April is also crazy. I think the Browns, you go slightly over 11 feels like where that should be and then I think the Ravens you gotta go under just because 11 is just high for for anyone in this league especially like you said the variables in teams like the Steelers and 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 the the out of division out of conference game so under Ravens and then I or yeah under Ravens and slightly over Browns probably a push for the Browns if I'm being honest that that's that's exactly what what I was thinking we're on the same page with this stuff today Ellis I I think that I, I think that the the Ravens could stumble a little bit here and there for some reason. I don't know why I feel that. I, I don't know why. I mean, they'll, they'll you know, they always come out and they surprise you, but I, I think 10, 10 seems about right. And then, and they have a tough schedule and so do the Steelers. I mean, those guys have tough, really tough schedules this year. Um, and the Browns, I, I could see the Browns winning 11. I could see them winning 10 too, but I could see them winning 11. So I'm going to go slightly over. That, that, that third place schedule is going to pay off nice for the Browns. It, it, it just yeah. is. Well, I'm going to be boring. And I agree with both of you. I just, <laughs> Mary Kay, I'm going to steal one of your phrases here. I mean, there's a chance that the Browns just come out this season and play with their hair on fire, right? Like they have that edge and that they want to prove everybody wrong. Cause people that maybe still don't believe in them, their roster is really good. 
-hmm. and they come out and they just want to have a great regular season. And the Ravens, on the other hand, I mean, the NFL isn't the NBA or Major League Baseball. You don't, every game matters. But at the same time, a team like the Ravens kind of knows the long game a little bit too. You know, I I could see them having some slip-ups here and there, but I think the Browns are going to be just so laser-focused this year with all the additions they've made, with how last year ended, some of the run-it-back stuff. And if Baker is the Baker we saw towards the end of the year, they could be really, really dangerous. I think it's over 10 for them. And I, and I, I think the Ravens will be a really good football team, but I could just see them, you know, maybe not getting to that 11 number, but it's so hard to frame because I just don't know with that, that one extra game makes so much difference, right? Like is an 11 win team, the same as an 11 and five team. Like, it, you know, what does an 11 team 11, what do 11 wins mean in a 17 game season? What are the new numbers that we're going to start kind of setting up as the mileposts, I guess. I I think 11 is, you know, 11 is the new 10-ish, you know, I mean, and and I, so I think that, I think that's a a good way to to end a 17 game season with 11. I think it means you're good. You're not over the top. Great. You know, we're not definitely putting you into the Super Bowl. Someone uh, listened to our round table the other day and thought I was uh, Super Bowl, Super Browns. But I didn't know I, I I didn't realize that I I didn't know I I went that that hard. I must have had some coffee or something right before the <laughs> pot. I didn't realize I was uh, that enthusiastic about the whole thing. But um, I do think that, and I think we did say, I did say this on the roundtable pot. I mean, they went all in on the offense last year, and they got to the final eight. They hadn't even gone all in on the defense. Now they've gone all in on the defense, so you would expect them to get farther. Um, but I still think 11 is a fair number for them. Yeah. And I like the idea of the, this offense starting fast. I think the Browns are one of the teams on a short list that could really benefit from a light first four games. Like I just laid out what happened to the Texans last year. If they get some softer defenses early, the way the Ravens offense was humming a year ago in week one, look for the Browns to do that. And if this team starts off scoring 30, 35 points, in their first four games, it's just going to get rolling. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, they won 11 games last year and that's not to say that they're, they have to win more or less, but there were things like that week one Ravens game, right. You kind of take that one off the board. Uh, the COVID game against the jets, you take that off the board. So that, that win total last year was a little strange. And there were other things where maybe you could flip that and say, well, maybe they shouldn't have won this game or whatever, but I, I think this is going to be a really, really good football team. And that to me, feels like more than 10 wins for them. Okay, there we go. Three questions on the Browns plus some Sheldon Richardson here on our Monday pod. Draft is coming, guys. We're going to do a mock draft on Friday for our roundtable. So everybody's going to have to to bone up on their prospects a little bit and get ready to do a uh, – we're going to do a a draft of a draft, I guess. Of course we found a way to draft a draft. (laughs) All right, so that's coming Friday. Make sure you're subscribed to this feed wherever you get your podcasts and also that you're subscribed to Football Insider. Go to cleveland.com slash Browns Blue Banner at the top of the page. Uh, Mary Kay and Ellis, thanks for the time and I will talk to you guys later.